Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the coffee shop. I am Rick Thomas, and you are at Life Over Coffee. Our street address is lifeovercoffee.com. Come in and check us out. We have a lot of resources, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Okay, it's time to buckle up your seatbelts because the relatives are coming for the holidays. What am I to do? That is the title of what I want to share with you over the next few moments. Relatives can avoid each other and can avoid conflict because of their busy lives and their lack of intentional interaction throughout the year. Then there are those troubling holidays and a few other special occasions that are sprinkled throughout where we must engage those that we don't usually hang with in our day-to-day interactions. Minimally, the holidays bring a low-grade, unannounced frustration to be with those people. Now, I trust this unannounced frustration that you're keeping it down on the DL. Sometimes it's not, and we spout off our frustrations that we have with our relatives, and I trust that I can help to modulate that through what I want to share with you over the next few moments. When these extended relationships are not strong, and for many of us, maybe most of us, we don't have strong relationships with everyone that we are related to. And in those moments, the season's joy that should be here, it can turn into conflict quickly. Learning how to love the unlovable and difficult souls well, even during these brief encounters, is crucial. And that's why I titled this, The Relatives Are Coming. For the holidays, what am I to do? Now, perhaps some of you have stumbled upon this, and it's not the holiday season, but it applies to you because you're not getting along well with all of your relatives. On our private forums to our supporting community, this is a common question that we interact with. Sometimes it's framed with how do you honor parents, for example. That's one of the ways that they would frame the question because the parents are weaving themselves into the uh, marriage of this young couple. Uh, But there's other tense moments with extended relatives, and it is important that we understand how to engage them redemptively, appropriately, biblically, whether it's the holidays or not. But if you want to read this article that I have for you, you're welcome to do that. Again, the title, The Relatives Are Coming for the Holidays, What Am I to Do? You can also watch the video and you can listen to the podcast, and that would be fantastic as we build out our resources over the past year and hopefully into the future. We will continue to do so in a read, watch, listen format. And so I want you to take advantage of whichever one best suits you. I also want to call out a couple of folks who have written into our ministry. One is Ed. Uh, Ed said that you all do a great work, and I have benefited from much of the content on your site and the generosity you show by making it all free. Uh, Ed, thank you so much for your kind words. Thank you for uh, sharing how you are benefiting from the ministry, and I do appreciate it, and it is a joy to serve you, and I'm very grateful that you would write in and say so. 
And then we have Justin. He's a pastor in Springfield, Missouri. I happen to know uh, Justin. Just did a conference for him earlier this year, and we're going back next year to do another one. They want us back, and we're glad to do it. Justin wrote in and said, Recently, I gave Change Me to a friend. She said it was the best book that she had ever read on the subject. She also said it was the best counseling book that she had ever read. It is a wonderful resource. Wow, that is a profound comment that Pastor uh, the, uh, Justin wrote in, and thank you so much for sharing that with me. And in an unashamed way, for those of you who are watching the video, you can see the book. Here it is, Change Me. For those of you who are listening by audio, uh, you can type Change Me Rick Thomas, those four words, change me, Rick Thomas, in the uh, search in, in your uh, Google or your search browser, and it will take you to Amazon, and you can get this book, Change Me. I would love for you to do it, and I do promote our books because, again, we, we don't have a, a supercharged publisher that just promotes our stuff everywhere, and so if the book, if awareness of the book gets out, it typically is because we have said something about it, and that's why I do want to highlight it. It's not about promoting me at all, but I do believe in this resource, and as this lady here, I, I do not know the lady, but... But as Justin said, it's the she said it's the best book that she had ever read on this subject of change, best counseling book that she had ever read. And we have received a lot of similar comments to that. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook, I would encourage you to get it because I do believe that you will benefit from it. So Justin, thank you uh, for letting me know about that. And then, Ed, thank you for acknowledging the benefit that you receive from our resources and the fact that they are free. By the way, this is the fall season of our of, of the year, and this is the primary season in which people give to nonprofit organizations, which we are. We are a 501c3 in the United States. And I just want you to pray. Would you pray during this fall season? Because again, everything that we're going to do next year will be determined by what happens over uh, the next couple of months during the fall season. And so we need folks who have the ability, and I know that everyone doesn't have the ability to give, but you do have the ability to pray. And so I want you to pray and ask God uh, to bring people into our ministry that would be willing to donate to it so that we can continue to do uh, what Ed is saying here, that we can uh, make it all free, and that's what we want to do. And so if you would pray, uh, we do have a significant donor who is uh, going to give us $50,000, which will meet 25% of our budget for next year. And if he does, he will do that under the condition that someone would match him. Now, I'm praying for four people. I'm asking God to bring four people who can give $50,000, and then that will meet our budget. Of course, I'm asking for other people who would give uh, lesser amounts as well. Chelsea, thank you so much for your $1,000 gift, by the way. And so if you can give a lesser amount, $10 or more, whatever, uh, please do that. But, but the primary thing here is I want you to pray uh, that God would bring those people in so that we can continue to uh, supply Ed with all of our free resources and hundreds of thousands of other people as well. Okay, the relatives are coming for the holidays. 
what am I to do? Now, I, I want to start this uh, by talking about our immediate family. What is a family? And the best verse, I think, that communicates that is Genesis 2.24, uh, where it says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is the definition of a family. Marriage between a man and a woman is an instantaneous formation of an autonomous domestic empire. The institution of a family begins at marriage, not at the birth of your first child. Your first child or your first adopted child, that is the extension of your family. It doesn't take a child to make a family. It requires the marriage of a man to a woman a freestanding entity that separates them from all other families, including the husband's and the wife's parents. Leaving two families to form one family is the leaving and cleaving idea in the Bible. Now, some in-laws prefer to call it leave, cleave, and weave. In an unwitting way, I'm sure, Unwittingly, that is a manipulative attempt to maintain an ongoing and sometimes overly intrusive interaction with the newly formed family. And so we do not want to leave, cleave, and weave. It is a cute bumper sticker, but it's just leave and cleave, husband and wife, to form that autonomous domestic empire. Now, of course... There should be some weaving between families. And of course, that's what I'm talking about here. The relatives are coming. What shall I do? There should be some weaving between the families. And you can do that humbly and wisely, sometimes courageously. And of course, that's my point here, because sometimes it does take courage because some relatives can be problematic. And so how do we do this? It never fails that each year I talk to couples during the holidays who want to know how to entertain family members who have proven to be challenging, let's say, to enjoy. And typically their initial question is along these lines. I hear this so much. They will say something like, how do we set boundaries for our relatives? Now, full disclosure here, I do not care for the boundary concept. And even less so when that's how someone leads the conversation when sharing their concern about a relative or maybe even a friend. For those of you who are supporting members of our ministry, you know that we have a private forum on our website. That is just one way we honor those who financially underwrite our ministry. We do want to give you something. I appreciate your desire to partner with us so that we can give out our resources to everyone freely but we want to honor you. And so we have a private forum on our website. And if you do not know, uh, last year, maybe I went through the entire boundary book and did a, a oral interpretation, an oral commentary on that book. And you can find it on our private forum. And so if you want to go through those direct video messages, I did a handful of video messages where I critiqued the Boundary Book, chapter by chapter. Now, full disclosure, I do not care 
uh, so much for the boundary book. And I'm not going to repeat all the reasons why, but again, if you're a supporting member, you can collect all of those video messages and you can listen to it uh, as you have time. And I do acknowledge, I realize that you can pull the boundary idea from the Bible, but that word generally has a negative connotation and usually a misapplication. When someone comes to me inevitably and they're talking about setting up boundaries, in my view, that's the wrong presuppositional starting point. And in most of my experiential interaction with people, uh, they have the wrong idea of what they want to happen with this person. There's a better way to talk about how to weave your relatives into your autonomous domestic empire. How about a more redemptive question rather than the question that is usually asked, how do we set boundaries for our relatives? What about if you ask this, what is a gospel-motivated worldview regarding engaging my challenging relatives? That is a far better question, and it's easier to find in the Bible, and you're less likely to eisegetically interpret the Bible in ways that the Bible uh, is not speaking about. Framing this opportunity as a gospel-centered opportunity rather than a boundary construct, it makes it redemptive rather than reactive. You see, boundaries connote fences and hedges and and. <laughs> And maybe for some of us, it may connote razor wire. The gospel indicates redemptive thinking and restorative acts. And though both approaches, a gospel-centered worldview and a boundary-constructing worldview, both of those approaches do anticipate saying complicated things. But if you come from a gospel-motivated presupposition, you're likely to say what you must with the right attitude and with restorative words. Living out the gospel does not prohibit awkward and challenging conversations. Living out the gospel is not being that doormat individual. But it's also not necessarily a wall constructor to live the gospel in your community. We want to do it the right way. Now, let me share a text of Scripture as I continue to tease this out. There is a famous passage of Scripture in Matthew 12, and it's verses 48 through 50. I want to share those verses with you now, and then I want to get inside them because there's some strong stuff here that we do have to deal with. And if you have... Uh, unsavory relatives, or an unsavory friend for that matter, then you do have to wrestle with this text in Matthew 12. Here it goes. But he, Jesus, but Jesus replied to the man who told him, quote, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's Matthew 12, beginning at verse 48. And in this passage, Jesus is explaining to us how to think about and to respond when relating to people. This instructive passage 
conveys this, that bloodlines must not manipulate how we connect with our relatives. That's a strong statement. You see, Jesus drew the line between those who did God's will and those who did not. Being related to people is necessary to enter into the human family. Being related to my dad and my mom, well, that was essential. That's how I came into this world. But being related is not our primary relationship to our spiritual family as Christians. Our, our spiritual family is our primary relationship. This perspective should cause us to rethink how we think about our camps. Christians engage all people, regardless of their affiliation, regardless of their camp. Now, to, to put it in the most general terms, there are only two camps that matter, those who do the will of God and those who don't. In a more explicit and stark and even dreadful way, you could say, there is one camp that goes to heaven and another camp that goes to hell. Those are the eternal camps, and those are the only camps that ultimately matter. These two groups have different eternal destinations. There is the camp of the saints, and there is the camp of the doomed. And that is how we think about people, eternally saved or eternally lost. Now, of course, what follows next is, well, how do you honor those who are not doing the will of God, like parents? It may be helpful to think of the word honor similarly to, similarly to how you would think about the word love. It is always right to honor people. It is always right to love people, even parents who may not be following the Lord. If you center your motives and your objectives on the gospel, how to love or honor someone becomes less of an issue. If you're thinking from a presuppositional worldview about boundaries, then what you're going to envision is walls, hedges, and maybe even razor, razor wire. If you, if you center or frame this situation around the gospel, you're thinking about love and honor, which is going to lead to more redemptive attitudes, words, and behaviors. And so honoring and love helps us to frame a redemptive perspective on what may be unlovable relatives the gospel will biblically govern your heart while setting boundaries can open the door for self-serving agendas like vengeance, especially if the relatives are royal pains. This perspective is one of the reasons I choose to think about family relations through a gospel worldview rather than a culturally familiar boundary idea. The gospel is more comprehensive than drawing boundaries. The gospel gives you redemptive opportunities with people. It opens up the door to possibilities of how to relate to people 
where boundary drawing begins to narrow the possibilities down. It's not unusual for an adult child to define honoring as submitting to every parent's request, even those parents who are not doing the will of God. And so as you think about love and honoring, we also want to make sure that we don't fill in this word, that we don't place inside this word honoring, meaning meeting every request that the parent uh, uh, places upon you. That would be a sabotaging of the word honoring. And this interpretation is problematic, especially if the parents are manipulative and self-serving. Always giving in to what someone wants from you because they are related to you is not honoring them. Is it redemptive to say yes to every desire of your parents? That is really the question that you want to wrestle with. Well, the answer is it depends on what the parents are asking. Maybe another way that you can frame this, the Lord does not give you everything that you ask, does he? And if you desire to imitate Jesus, then measuring each request from your relatives to determine the best response is the wisest approach to take. Sometimes the most appropriate thing you can do for them is to deny their request. Let's suppose a parent did not know the Lord. They are in the camp of the eternally doomed. The most vital thing to consider is their spiritual condition, which means giving them everything they desire could be a a huge mistake. There are times when the Lord works redemptively through our personal disappointment. Think about Genesis 50, verse number 20. Most of you are familiar with that passage of Scripture where Joseph said to his brothers, What you did to me, God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God did not give Joseph everything that he wanted. He gave him something that was different. God does not always meet our request in the way that we present them to him because he loves us. And loving us means we're not going to get everything the way that we want it. Another illustration of that would be Luke twenty-two forty-two, where Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he was asking God to take this cup away from him. Now, ultimately, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. And so it was. And so to honor or to love a parent does not always mean it is wise to give them every single thing that they want. If a relative asks you to do something and you know that it is not best to give them what they want, the best and most effective way that you can honor them is by denying their request. A good verse that may help you here is James 4.17. James says, To him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it would be sin. And so if a parent were to come to you and they were to ask you to do something and you just knew in your heart of hearts that this would not be the wisest thing to do, that it will not help them redemptively, you know it's the right thing to do, then you have to say no to them. Christ knew how to lead others well, even if it meant disappointing them. He was not afraid 
For example, in John 11, in his interaction with Mary and Martha, Jesus gave a disappointing response to Mary and Martha. The sisters were making a solid case for Jesus to get a move on so that he could get over there, beat it over there to Lazarus to help Lazarus because Lazarus was sick. And Jesus denied their request because Christ was a big picture guy. He had a grander idea in view. And so he let Lazarus die. He denied Mary and Martha's request. If you're afraid to disappoint your relatives or your friends, you may mask your fear by responding inappropriately to them. The fearful person erects a wall, a boundary, rather than doing the redemptive work that may open the door of repentance to that difficult relative. The gospel dispels the boundary, the boundary and honoring rigmarole. There should not be a tension there. And so the question is, are you willing to do the right thing regardless of their response? I'm asking if you're ready to lead your relatives as Jesus would. Fear of relatives can captivate your heart and cloud your judgment to the point that you can no longer make biblical decisions. You have to have a higher objective. And that higher objective is in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, you do so for the glory of God. Glorifying God is the primary question that you need to ask regarding relational tension. Will this glorify God? Will building a boundary between them and me glorify God? To glorify God is to make His name great, to spread His fame throughout the earth, throughout your family. This opportunity may be a call for you to step up and do a complicated thing because it is the only right choice. The gospel empowers the Christian to do hard things lovingly. If you don't lead them, then perhaps it's because you do not love them well. And maybe that is the place where you need to begin. Please do not bring corrective care to anyone with whom you do not have affection. Even on the most minimal and base level of affection, which is that person is made in the image of God. Love for others must always precede how you lead them. How could you withhold challenging and disappointing conversations from those that you love? If you love them, if you have a true, genuine love for them and affection for them, even on this base level as image bearers, then you should be able to bring challenging and dis disappointing conversations to them. A faithful friend may wound you, but a person unwilling to do those hard things for the good of others and the glory of God is not a faithful friend. And you want to be a faithful friend to your relatives so that you can glorify God minimally. There is grace for any difficult conversation. If you desire to speak the truth in love, you can count on the Lord to stand with you while empowering you to do what is loving and honoring. It is a joy to do it is his joy to do this for you, and that is your reward. Be of good courage. 
The relatives are coming, and some of them may be unsavory. However, big caveat right here. Weren't you this way once upon a time? I was. I have been unsavory. How did the Lord lead you, O unsavory person? Did he chicken out? Or did he persevere through your nonsense and bring his courageous and challenging love to you? Well, we know the answer. Christ is a lover of sinners. And you and I are the undeserving beneficiaries of his bountiful love. Jesus will leap over a wall. He will leap over a boundary to love you. The only fence that he will erect will be an eternal one that will separate the goats from the sheep. But in the meantime, before that eternal day, as you prepare for your relatives this year, imitate your fearless leader. The relatives are coming for the holidays. What am I to do? If you would love to read what I've just shared with you, uh, please look for that title on our website. The address, the street address to our coffee shop is lifeovercoffee.com. And you can come into our coffee shop and our resources are free to you. Before I wrap up, I do have a few call to action questions, about five of them. So let's, let's go. Number one, do you love your relatives? Do you have that minimal baseline affection for them? If not, my strongest appeal is to ask God, plead with God, pray to God to change this heart problem before you address their behavioral problems. We need minimal affection for those difficult people, whether they're relatives or not. This applies to non-relatives too. Number two, are you going to lead your family? If not, then I would appeal to you to change this problem before you address their issues. That is also a heart issue. Am I going to initiate? Am I going to stand up and be like Christ? Now, I don't know how that's going to be. Each family situation is different, but there are two preliminary questions that you have to ask. Do I have this minimal baseline affection for my family? And two, am I willing to lead my family? Now, what that means as far as playing out, it can be quite diverse. Number three, how does the fear of others manipulate you to ignore challenging conversations that you know you must have? The Bible label for this is fear of a man in Proverbs 29, 25. We can have a fear of other people to where they are so big in our lives and we feel so small that we do not step up to lead in these conversations. And so fear of others, fear of relatives, fear of man can be a problem. By the way, we have a lot of resources on our website about that very topic. If you type fear of man... The opinion of others would be another good uh, uh, group of words to type into our search box. Number four, how do you define honoring your parents? Does your definition include not always doing what they say? If not, why not? Because some people do impregnate this honoring concept with ideas that the Bible would forbid. Honoring is not a blank check. Again, as, as I've said, it's not a blank check to do 
anything and everything that someone asks you to do. And so don't be manipulated by the parent who's trying to not only let you leave and cleave, but they're trying to weave inside your uh, autonomous domestic empire, and they're interfering in such a way that it's really causing division within your own family. And so honoring them, and then when they drop the honoring card and say, you just need to honor me, well, you want to make sure that you have a proper definition of honoring. Sometimes the most honoring thing you can do is to say or do the difficult thing for that person. Number five, last question. Determine what the will of God is and do it with your relatives. So with that in mind, what is one challenging thing you know you should do with a relative? Go back to James again. If you know to do good and do not do it, to you it would be sin. So what is one challenging thing you know you should do with a relative? And then the follow-up is, what is your specific plan to accomplish that thing? The relatives are coming. For the holidays, what am I to do? Also, as a reminder, if you want to jump out on Amazon, you can get our book, Change Me. Type my name in there, Rick Thomas, and that should take you right to where you can get this book. You can order it just in time for the holidays. And you can, um, maybe this would be a great gift to give to someone for the holidays. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.